righty, friends, we're back. Your favorite podcast of the week. It's Location Weekly. It's episode number 586, and we are recording on September the 13th. Abriana, how's it going? It's going good. You know, getting into the swing of things with fall around the corner. Um, it still doesn't feel quite like fall. It's still pretty warm, but, um, you know, the first full week of school this week. So it's like getting back into that groove, putting the kids on the bus and getting to work, not being bugged for snacks all day long. Um, so I feel like I have a renewed focus, which is really nice. So yeah. How's it going for you? You're somewhere new. I, I am somewhere new. I'm in uh, San Francisco this week uh, with my startup at ground level and uh, we're in front of a bunch of uh, Silicon Valley VCs and all of that. So busy, busy week. Um, it's still it's still warm in Toronto, but I got here and I'm like, it's cold. San Francisco's cold. It's like windy and cold. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not ready for that yet. But anyways, um, yeah, it's all good. You know, things, things are going well and um, you know, uh, we're getting closer now, what, just a month and a bit now to our uh, LBMA Retail Local Conference in Atlanta. We were just talking about that. And so I'm getting excited about that. You know, more and more speakers locking in in the last week. Um, and uh, yeah, I think we're, you know, we're going to have some good brands there. Kroger, Ikea, Coke, um, you know, some good sponsors in Radar and Glimpse and you know our, our our good friends Mark and and uh, and company at uh, DevHub and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be it'll be fun times all around. So I'm excited about it. So if you don't have your ticket for Retail Loco, go get it. Uh, October 26th and 27th in Atlanta. RetailLoco. Um, yeah. Good stuff. Um, yeah. So we got a good show for you. As usual, we have four stories that we want to highlight. Uh, in the world of location and tech and data, and I'll let Abriana kick us off. All right. Well, I have to say this is a topic I wish I never really had to discuss or anybody had to discuss, but here we are. And noting that, you know, it's really important to have time efficient solutions um, to protect students and teachers, you know, protecting schools during emergencies where lives could be at stake. So noting this, RevLab technology has rolled out what they're calling Campus Safe. Um, so in essence, this is a panic button for classrooms. Um, its goal is to increase safety, avoid tragedy. You know, they've noted recent school shootings um, and other emergencies. And really the technology was based on an original design that they were using for hotel safety, but now they've applied this to schools um, to optimize that campus safety. So how it works is that there's a panic button that's in an application. So you press the panic button, the software lets other users know that there's an incident going on and on-scene assistance um, arrives or given that, that user's location, that very specific um, and granular location. And then, um, you know, I, I think that it's really just about like sharing that with the, the emergency services as fast as possible. So obviously I think this is a helpful measure. Um, you know, from my perspective, there's a lot of additional measures that should be taken to protect our children and school administrators and staff way before uh, it comes to this when it, you know, when we're thinking about like school shootings. However, I do think that there's some other really unique um, applications in schools that this would be more directed to that were not maybe referenced in the article. So I was thinking about um, you know, anaphylactic allergic reactions and any health crisis where you need to get, 
you know, paramedics and, and the right healthcare um, as urgent as possible to a specific location and not having, you know, you, a lot of times you have a lot of classrooms and multiple levels. So getting to the exact place as fast as possible is really crucial. So I think there's a lot of good use cases for this. And, you know, it's just unfortunate that we're building technology to solve a problem like this. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of, a lot of things that can be done to help uh, keep our children safe, you know, our, our schools safer, um, just in general, whether that's hotels. Um, but yeah, I like this. I like just having something that is um, seamless and, and, you know, being able to perhaps train um, the entire staff on something that's really easy and not complicated in terms of how to keep it more safe. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I am with you. It's sad that we we need this kind of application or technology, but the reality is, is that's that's the world that uh, that we live in, and you know there are bad things happening out there in schools and on campuses and in hotels and elsewhere. So, um, you know, I you know I like this. You know, as as a, a father with a uh, a nineteen year old daughter that's uh, away at university, you know, and on campus all the time, I I'm all for you know things that can keep her safe when I'm not there to do that. Um, so yeah, I I, I like this. It, it's um, you know I think from a tech point of view, you know we're not talking about rocket science here. Um, you know certainly you know I think it was like a few months ago we talked about you know the U.S. operators uh, enhancing the uh, the E911 uh, functionality to make it more accurate, uh, more specific to, you know, the individual, you know, location. Um, but in the absence of, of that, I think if you can find ways to, you know, build this into, you know, apps that people are using on campuses or in, in hotels, um, you know, and make it easy and accessible, uh, for them, then, um, I think it makes sense. Right. And it's, it is about, you know, not only reporting an incident, but, you know, having very, very accurate location data, right? And, you know, I think there are many ways to do that. Um, we've talked about hardware um, integrations into Wi-Fi networks and other things. And especially when you're in tall buildings, you know, in office towers or uh, university buildings and trying to narrow it down to, you know, what room, you know, somebody's in uh, or, or where specifically in a building uh, or on a campus they might be um faster obviously emergency services can get there you know the more likely it is that there's going to be a positive outcome so um yeah so so i like this um and um yeah i i don't have much more to say about it but i think it, it it's it's certainly useful and helpful and check it out from rev lab all right on to our second story now so we're going to shift over to the world of augmented reality and the Minnesota Twins, that, that is the, uh, the baseball team in Minnesota at Target Field, um, have teamed up and are experimenting with a technology from a company called A-Round, which is A-R uh, in caps and then O-U-N-D, all one word. Uh, and um, they are basically creating um, what they're calling shared digital experiences in real time, you know, all you know, sort of visualized in A-R. And I think, you know, obviously we've talked a lot on this show about, you know, the growth of AR and VR and, you know, um, you know, package goods companies applying AR uh, to, to what they're doing, you know, and scan the package and see an experience or, you know, get a recipe or whatever, you know, all those kinds of things that we've talked about. What I think is a little bit different about this and kind of unique is 
they're talking about uh, creating a shared experience here where multiple people uh, in the stadium, in this case, are interacting with the same content or with each other. Uh, and I think that's a little bit different. Um, one stat that they pulled out, they said that, um, you know, the, you need to, you need to have things like this happening in a baseball game because typically, uh, at an average baseball game, uh, fans are only engaged for 18 minutes of action per three hour game. That's mind boggling to me. Aubriana, you and I both come from baseball world. Uh, your dad played and, and, you know, I played and your husband played and, and whatnot. And it, it's, uh. You know, for I think for us, we're that you know our players or you know super fans or whatever you want to call our, us, you know, we're engaged because like you know we're we know we know the stats and we know the nuances of what's going on, you know, behind the scenes and all this, uh, you know, all the preparation and the video room that those players are in. So, you know, we're perhaps I, I'm going to say we're spending more than 18 minutes engaged with the game, but I could see for the casual fan, you know, it it can be slow. It can be you know not not the fastest moving sport out there. So essentially, they're trying to say, you know, how do we up that from 18 minutes to you know something much greater than that? Um, and so they've created this uh, what they call a stadium overlay with audio, visual effects, you know, that celebrate things like big hits, strikeouts. Uh, fans can express their uh, appreciation for what's going on by hurling virtual squids and virtual hot dogs onto the field. Um, there's gamification built into this. Uh, you know, with a um, uh, into the lineup with a like a digital home run uh, derby uh, thing going on, contests uh, and things going on between you and other fans uh, in the stands. You know, all sort of visualized you know through an AR lens. Um, so you know what I, I think this is kind of interesting. I I can absolutely see how this plays out in a in a sporting venue um, like this, and. Um, yeah, I you know we'll we'll see where it goes from there. But I but I do think that you know sports teams are looking for other ways to keep fans uh, engaged, um, and baseball might be the right place to start. I don't know. What are your thoughts, baseball girl? <laughs> well, you know I think to be frank, like the game of baseball is in trouble, and I think that teams um, and MLB and I do think this spans beyond Major League Baseball to other professional sports, but specifically with baseball, you know, getting the attention of the consumer and that engagement and those repeat, you know, fans that come and visit the stadium is, is very much a problem right now. I think it was a problem pre-pandemic and it has just continued, um, you know, so much so that we're seeing, we just saw that they announced new uh, new rule changes for next season, you know, the, the larger bases, banning the shift, you know, the pitch clock, like all of those things to help speed up the game because people are bored, people are not paying attention, you know, they're losing interest. So this is another one of those um, attempts, I think, to, you know, our kids are not necessarily focused on what's happening in front of them. They are very much into what they can do on a screen that's in front of them. Um, and I think that there's some benefit to this and bringing in, you know, other realities into, into the stadium. But, you know, for, I would say like for us, like as true fans, we're like, really, you know, is that what it's going to take? Because we're just genu genuinely interested in the game and, and we, we have a love and appreciation for it, but that's not, you know, that's not every day. And I think that they have to continue to iterate and make changes. They have to continue to make it an entertainment place 
not just a place for people who love baseball. You know, you think about what the uh, Savannah, Savannah Bananas are doing, you know, the minor league team yeah. of Savannah, Georgia, like it is an entertainment, it is baseball, but they are entertaining and they're having a fun time with it. So, you know, I think that's the wave of the future. You know, we've also seen a lot of teams like uh, fan controlled football entering the league and kind of switching up the rules and condensing the field of play and, and making smaller teams. So, you know, I think there's going to be more and more gamification. There's going to be more digital interaction in the future. And they're going to just try to include the fans um, increasingly. And I think it's what needs to happen, you know, for this to stay relevant, but it is definitely a shift from, you know, the baseball that we grew up on. Yeah. And, you know, just looking at my two kids, you know, uh, my daughter, you know, every time, you know, we ever went to a baseball game together, you know, she's engaged. She loves the sport. She's, um, you know, she's got her scorebook there. She's scoring the plays and like, you know, all the, you know, all that's happening on the field. So she's following everything, you know, from a stats point of view. And my son's complete opposite. Like he's there, he's on his phone. He's, you know, you know, he would be all over this, right? Um, you know, you know, hurling hot dogs on the field. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, so. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, there, there's an age piece, there's an engagement piece, and I think it's uh, it, it could be quite interesting. So, all right. Yeah, I think they're just trying to have something for everybody, right? Giving yeah. different personalities, different levels of uh, fandom, if you will, ways to engage with the sport and and the venue. So, it's good. Um, okay, let's switch over to QSR and Panera Bread is testing CarPlay now in the drive-through. So they are, you know, have these efforts that are trying to expand their digital ordering offering and their drive-through opportunities. You know, more and more now we're seeing Panera Breads with drive-throughs. It didn't used to be that way, um, and now they've kicked off this partnership with Apple, um, Apple's CarPlay. So iPhone users, if you're a member of Panera's My Panera loyalty program, you can order um, through the app and you have, they have something called Unlimited Sip Club. So there's like a subscription um, and you can redeem those beverages through the car's dashboard and CarPlay. And, you know, it's worth noting that there's 2,100 or more than 2,100 bakery cafes in the U.S. and Canada. So there's like massive reach that they have here. And I think they're just trying to... Um, increase those drive-throughs. We've seen, obviously, like statistically, that QSR drive-through orders have, um, you know, seen a large increase since early 2020. Clearly tied to a lot of the indoor dining being closed, um, those experiences being closed, but also likely due to a shift in consumer behavior. We just kind of got used to going through the drive-through, and it's convenient, and we don't want to get out. Um, so, you know, another stat though that is worth noting here is that a less favorable thing is is a lot of restaurant staffing as a whole has has seen, you know, tremendous challenges in retaining their their talent and, um, you know, just retaining their employees. And it's extremely difficult, whether that's fine dining or QSR. So, you know, I think this is also has them testing out things like AI drive through tech. They're testing out something called Tori as it's an automated drive through voice assistant from Open City um, tech company. But I think what's it also just like calling this out, we are seeing a trend here, right? There's less and less help. So how do we automate things? How do we take away, you know, jobs that humans have traditionally done? 
Um, about 10 weeks ago, we talked about McDonald's testing out IBM, you know, with the, the AI technology and uh, license plate personalization testing that they're doing. Um, you know, there's been a, there was a, a, a large $10 million investment in um, a restaurant voice ordering automation company called Converse Now um, from the, it's a, it's Union Square Hospitality Group uh, founder that, that started Shake Shack. So like people are investing in this. They say, obviously there's a challenge, you know, um, I think that there's a lot of opportunities to meet these needs. I always go to Chick-fil-A as a, as a particularly wonderful experience most of the time for fast food. Um, you know, it's probably to the benefit of my health and my waistline that we don't have a Chick-fil-A very close, but that was one of my favorite things. Like as a mom, busy weekends, running errands, I can order on my mobile app, just drive through and pick it up and it's ready. It was like very, very convenient, um, to be able to find the nearest location, place that order, you know, just repeat the same order that we always get and go through and pick it up and be on with our day. So I think that there's something to that, that, you know, experience to that consumer behavior. Um, and it's good to see that Panera is getting in on it. I think that, you know, a lot of restaurants are going to be headed in this direction with new technology that can, again, take the place of humans. We've got to, we've got to cover it. They have to keep moving and keep being productive. And that's typically what kind of, um, I would say like jams the flow of everything right within the restaurant. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is good. It's great that they're testing this out. Um, you know, I think we're going to see more and more like this, being able to do that, not only through CarPlay, but obviously just through the app in general, um, I think is going to be a big benefit to their bottom line. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, just to, to add a little bit to that, you know, I, I think obviously if you can tie into the car, you know, system, whether that's CarPlay or, or whichever system, you know, and just facilitate that easier transaction, um, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think for brands like Panera or McDonald's or anybody who has, you know, a drive through going on, um, you know, it just, it just makes that experience a little more seamless and easy. And when there is a rewards program, I think this becomes critical. So, you know, I'm, uh, as you can see here, I'm, I'm drinking my McDonald's coffee, which I walked over and picked up, you know, near my hotel this morning. And I, I, I like McDonald's coffee. That's what I drink. And most at home in Toronto, I, I, I go through the drive through I pick it up on my way to the office. And um, the interesting thing is, is I have the McDonald's app on my phone and there's rewards. And every time you buy a coffee or you buy anything, you're, you're earning points. Now, if I want to, you know, sort of, you know, collect those points or redeem those points, I have to open the app. There's a QR, like a personalized QR code in there. I got to like show them the QR code at the, at the window when I'm paying and they can scan that. And then that, you know, sort of, you know, logs my points, but it would be so much easier if I went through with my CarPlay and it all automatically sent them my code, you know, um, and it synced up and I didn't have to have that extra step of like showing my code, showing my phone you know, or anything like that, um, you know, to do that. So I think it, it is about just simplifying that process and that flow through. Um, and then the other thing I, I think is interesting here, and, you know, we haven't talked about for a while, but, you know, platforms like CarPlay and Maven and all these other things that are out there right now, you know, and, and even, you know, Google Waze and so on, you know, the more you can tie into this type of, of a system and these types of loyalty programs, um, you know, the easier it becomes for you to drive, you know, sort of additional traffic. So if you're on a road trip and you're driving, you know, let's, let's say you're driving, you know, 
from where you are, Abriana, to, you know, your Thanksgiving dinner coming up, uh, you know, at your parents' place in uh, North Carolina or wherever they are, um, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if, you know, along the route, along the way, you're getting like, you know, push recommendations through CarPlay to say, hey, why don't you, you know, pull, pull into the, you know, the local Chick-fil-A or whatever, uh, here's an offer, you know, you can earn so many points because it knows your location, it knows where you are, it knows, you know, your status and all of that. And then you, and then kind of close that loop as you come through the drive-through. So I, I think it's there's a lot to be done here in terms of how you leverage the data and the geo uh, location information to make it you know more seamless and effective. Yeah, absolutely. It's like all right, yeah. some of those taking some of those smaller features that you see within like your compartmentalized apps, like Waze with the you know, advertising, but pulling it in for a personalization effect because it has your loyalty and everything stored right there. Right. All right. On to our final story now. So there's a company called Serence. It's spelled C-E-R-E-N-C-E -E -E for those listening. Uh, and they've introduced a technology called Serence Link. And this is a uh, an Indian-based company. And essentially what they're trying to go after is what they say are 600 million cars on the road today globally that don't have any level of connectivity. So these are either older cars or cars, you know, that are being built, you know, for the lower end of the market, typically that just don't, you know, have connectivity built into them. And so they built essentially a, a platform called Serence Link, um, a connected vehicle digital twin, they call it CVDT. Um, and it uses cloud-based technologies uh, and it's all focused on, you know, giving you the functionality you get in, you know, sort of, you know, higher end cars today that you buy around, you know, driver safety or security and comfort, you know, things like sensors and, and awareness of, you know, what's going on in the vehicle and diagnostics and, you know, the car's location um, and other useful information around that. Uh, it comes, you know, with a mobile app uh, component to it, um, voice powered notifications, uh, trip histories and insights and, and all kinds of things like that. So, I look at this and I go, okay, um, yes, I can see value to bringing this into, you know, sort of the, the bottom, you know, end pricing of cars today that come with bare bones stuff that don't have CarPlay and don't have, you know, uh, you know, Google, um, uh, you know, Google in your car or those kinds of, uh, of features and, and things that we just talked about that you couldn't do, uh, if you had one of those cars going into a, a Panera drive through um, but I also look at it and go, well, you know, how do you, you know, how do you get this to market in, in, into that audience, right? And I think, you know, to me, that's, you know, that's where I see, I see challenges. They say they've signed a large multinational uh, automaker uh, in India, and they've begun shipping that out. Um, and so, you know, they're they're rolling this out into, uh, you know, obviously in that market to start, and it's a big market. Um, but uh, you know, I, I'm. I kind of look at this and go, you know, is there is there an aftermarket, you know, product here, and and if so, how do you how do you get that into market? So, and I've been talking about my kids all day. I don't know why, but so my daughter, who's away at university, going into second year, literally, you know, we just she just bought a, a used car, um, and she bought a I think it's a twenty fifteen uh, Volkswagen um, Jetta. And, you know, it's got some functionality in there. It's got Bluetooth. It doesn't have CarPlay or any of those, you know, sort of more 
sophisticated services uh, available. So it's a little bit, you know, sort of a little bit older. Um, but I look at it and go, she's the kind of audience. She's very tech savvy. She's got a lot of apps on her phone that, you know, she would love to have, you know, sort of that additional functionality or real time maps or, you know, traffic data, all those kinds of things, you know, available to her. So, you know, I could see value there in bringing that to, you know, sort of older cars um, uh, or newer cars that, you know, are bare bones. But um, I, I'm kind of challenged by, you know, sort of the, the story here and how you get that to market. So, you know, what are your thoughts? No, I agree. That was my first thought about this. Like, it's a good application. I love that they found kind of an area that needs addressing that perhaps not everybody is looking at, right? Everybody's looking towards the future cars, but not looking at what's currently on the road and how to improve that. So I think that they found their niche, but I, I do think that the channel, like the sales channels are really what's going to determine the success of this. So, you know, my, from my perspective, I think of like, um, what is the car, the large car sales, like the used car place, CarMax, you know, like those are, or Carvana. Yeah, I think this is a play where you have to go through those channels and say, see how you can potentially um, use that massive reach that they have and the massive um, amount of inventory of pre-owned or older cars in order to get that adoption. So you, I think you have to generate that, you know, and, and then if you provide enough value, it's something that people would continue to use, um, you know, across their cars and across their household and, and the multiple uh, vehicles that they have. But I do think that that's a good call out. Um, and that's, you know, it's one to watch. Like I get, I get their value proposition, but again, getting it into the hands of consumers um, at mass adoption will be interesting to see how they tackle. Yeah. So um, yeah, check it out though. If you're in that market, um, Serens, uh, uh, C-E-R-E-N-C-E -E, uh, and their, their link technology. So that's our show for this week. Four stories there, um, uh, a wide range of, of, of topics today. And uh, we thank you for listening and watching. Um, this is episode 586 of Location Weekly. As I said at the top of the show, if you don't have your ticket yet for Retail Local, which is October 26th and 27th in Atlanta, go get it, retaillow.co. We'd love to see you there. Um, and uh, we'll see you next week, everybody, for another show. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Bye.